Hello and welcome to ITIC Insight, the podcast which shares loss prevention advice from ITIC, the world's leading provider of professional indemnity insurance for transport professionals everywhere. Hello and thank you very much for joining us on next series in ITIC's podcasts. Today's podcast, uh, I'm joined, my name is Robert Hodge, I'm joined by Julian Clark. Julian is the global head of INTS and he's going to be giving us some advice today uh, and some of his knowledge on the recent um, outbreak of war in Ukraine and its impact on the force majeure clause under shipman and crewman or the BIMCO force majeure clause. Now, thanks very much for joining me today, Julian. Real pleasure, Robert. No problem. And a little bit of um, background to this is that at the start of the COVID uh, outbreak in 2020, lots of the crew managers and ship managers contacted ITIC and said, oh my word, what's what's going to happen? We're, we're, we're stuck with uh, these contracts and uh, we can't man the ships properly because of the COVID and it's becoming more expensive. Uh, what is your advice uh, whether COVID falls within the force majeure clause under BIMCO? And uh, so I guess, do you want to give a little bit, bit of background, Julian, to the, to the force majeure? clause, the BIMCO force majeure clause? Yeah, so the, the start point, which is always worth going over, is this the, the position as of English law that force majeure isn't an English law concept. The equivalent of English law is the law on frustration, so effectively impossibility to legally perform contracts, and English law doesn't like frustration very much, so there's been a whole range of cases where the ability for a party to extricate themselves from a contract because it's become more difficult to perform, more expensive to perform. English law is really quite strict on whether or not it will allow a contract party to escape a contract on that basis. What force majeure is there for uh, is it's a system that works outside the English law concept of frustration and very much is a contractual arrangement between the parties. So in relation to the question of is situation A, B, C, D, whatever that is, whether it's COVID, whether it's war, whether it's the strike, whether it's an earthquake, does that fall within force majeure? It depends what it says on the can, and the can in this case is the clause. So if you look at, for example, the pretty much universal force majeure clause in shipping, which is the one approved by BIMCO, that defines force majeure events as acts of God, government requisitions, acts of war, which we can come on to in this current climate, uh, riots, civil commotion, epidemics, earthquakes, strikes, fire, and various others. The important point to make is there's a proviso that the person seeking to rely on the clause has made all reasonable efforts to avoid, minimise or prevent the effect of the events. So when we looked at COVID, the first thing you look at is, well, what is that potentially? How could that potentially fall within the provisions of the clause? And it would be under the epidemics categorization under that clause. So potentially you could say, yep, yeah, it's an epidemic, therefore it might be force majeure. But then you've got to fall back on that proviso and say reasonable efforts to avoid, minimise or prevent. Well, where we are today with trouble vaccines and an increasing, dare I say, herd immunity, it'd be very difficult, I think, for a manager or any, anybody affected by COVID to try and rely on a force majeure clause because you'd say there must be effort, it must be possible to source other crew. And if it's more expensive, then that's tough, really. That's, that's not really a reason for getting out of it. So that's, that's kind of a, a very headline summary of where we are, Robert. Of course, when it first kicked off, and it was looking as it was, you know, described as a pandemic, then I think there was more possibility for force majeure to play a role, certainly in relation to COVID, but as we are today, highly unlikely. 
Yes, I, I agree. And uh, I, I wrote a, an article article on uh, with the Ship Management International on COVID and, uh, and um, I think titled, uh, Can You Deliver Upon Your Crew or Deliver Upon Your Promises to Provide Crew? And we've had a number of claims where managers have over-promised. For example, uh, they've uh, taken on the management of some gas ships and a particular na- nas- nationality of crew had to be on those gas ships from a flag. And it just couldn't source the crew with the ability or qualifications to man them. And uh, the, the, there was a number of deficiencies uh, reported in the running of those vessels due to the fact that the crew just wasn't up to scratch because they've over-promised. And uh, so, so, so this, I think, has, has sort of leads on to the next point on, on war and Ukraine, and in particular sort of crew managers sourcing and using Ukrainian crew on ships, which may be flagged, Ukrainian flags, or maybe have a requirement to have Ukrainian, Ukrainian crew on board. So, so I, think, I guess the, the first point is, um, is what we're going through now is it deemed to be war within the requirements of the definition under a sort of a BIMCO force majeure clause? And my answer to that is, I think the answer has to be yes right now. There's a, there's a debate going on in the insurance markets and some confusion as to provisions which allow automatic termination or cancellation. The standard ship management contracts don't have this problem because they don't deal with war as a termination event. But you have to distinguish between those clauses that say, if there's a war, contract can be terminated, but that's generally restricted as it is under the whole policies to an act of war between certain named major powers. So England, France, United States, China, Russia. And of course, we don't have a war situation there yet. And even if you had NATO boots on the ground, that wouldn't amount to war either, because that would be a peacekeeping force. However, if you look at the force majeure provision, and we, we take the BIMCO clause again as, exa- as an example, we look at the proviso, all reasonable efforts to avoid, minimise or prevent the effect of, that's the one to remember, but if you look at the, the circumstances, A3 of the clause says, any circumstances arising out of war, threatened act of war, or warlike operations, acts of terrorism, sabotage, piracy, or consequences thereof. In relation to the uh, Russian invasion of Ukraine and what's taking place in Ukraine at the moment, that must be now, I think, categorised, if not as war. And I think it is, because we could have an interesting debate about definition of what is law as a matter of English law and go back to things like the Spinney's case. But I, I think we're pretty clear it is a war between Russia and Ukraine, two states. It's a certainly threatened act of war. And if it's not that, it's certainly warlike operations when we're seeing what's going on. So I think you do tick the first box now. But the question then falls back to the proviso in relation to whether you can deploy force majeure as a ship manager say to say, sorry guys, force majeure clause. And that's, have you made all reasonable efforts to avoid, minimise or prevent? And so you've got to look at whether or not the agreement that you've come to under your crew management operation or your, your full management operation or your technical man- management operation is frustrated, can I use that word with a small f, by the situation that's taking place in Ukraine. So I guess for the example would be, so we take a situation that normally a vessel is crewed with a main main crew of Ukrainian crew. They just haven't been able to get those crew back on board and the vessel is unable to sail uh, and to um, meet the requirements for a charter party. So in, in that situation, I guess what all reasonable efforts to minimise the effects maybe were the only we could say, well, did you consider getting crew from another nationality um, did you think of uh, you know going for filipino crew and uh, and and looking elsewhere and then the manager could then was well in the time available it, we didn't have uh, reasonable time to to do so etc so yeah we all down on on the, on the facts of a particular situation i, I would presume 
Exactly right, Robert. So let's take a imaginary example. Let's say you've got a ship fully laden. It's all Ukrainian crew. It's about to sail to Russia or it's about to it's it's owned by a Russian owner or there's a connection to Russia in some way and the crew say we're going on strike we're not going to do it we think this is supporting the Russian state for whatever reason right for their own fee we're not we're not going can the crew manager say well that's it i don't have any obligations anymore answer no you could take open quotes reasonable efforts to avoid minimize or prevent the effect of that by trying to source another crew now if you can't as you say because ship's got to leave in two days and it's impossible to do it or if there was a restriction of actually getting a transfer of the crew then that that would recome into the force majeure provision but you'd have to be able to demonstrate that you were actually blocked i think the important thing with in relation to force majeure is it needs to be an unfortunate unavoidable situation as opposed to an excuse mm. so it can't be an excuse not to perform it's got to be Sorry, we just can't do this. So I guess another example would be that particular trade or that flag, it was contractually necessary to have Ukrainian crew. So that would be a contractual obligation. And I I would have thought if you're unable to source Ukrainian crew and satisfy the contract, that would be frustrated in, in that sense. Yeah, so good example of that at the moment would be, I don't know if this has happened yet, but the UK, as you know, have taken the, in my experience, unprecedented step of not only saying no sanctioned Russian vessel or Russian-operated vessel or vessel operated by someone on a sanctions list is now prohibited to call a UK port, but any Russian-owned or Russian-flagged vessel, regardless of whether they're on a sanctions list. Now, if that was a vessel that, has a it can only trade with a a Russian crew and it's trading in ports where that vessel can not now call that must be force majeure frustration because it just becomes legally possibility Hmm. and then when we had the COVID situation we're often asked by crew managers and and ship managers can we terminate uh, now with the effects of COVID and uh and well, you're, you're the expert but uh what, what, what would your advice be can we terminate if there's a force majeure event no. Um, I mean, we, well, if there's a force majeure event that allows you to operate within the scope of the clause, which says that you will not be liable for loss, delayed damage if there's a force majeure event taking place. So you can't be sued for your lack of performance under the contract. You're not exposed to damages. But to go the step further to say, no, I'm, I'm just going to terminate this agreement, that uh, involves a consideration of the termination termination provision within the contract. And if you look at the standard shipman wording for that, there are various grounds for termination. And there's the extraordinary termination events of, you know, the vessel being sold or the vessel becoming a total loss or the vessel not reporting and various other triggers. But none of those would involve at war. And indeed, neither would the earlier provisions because it's not an owner's or manager's default. So there's no termination there. I suppose you could argue there might be a situation if the owner was saying, you know, we insist that you only use Ukrainian crew and you can't get Ukrainian crew. You might be able to argue owner's default, but unlikely. So then you fall back onto the wider subprovision 22B. And that's if the owners proceed with the employment or continue to employ the vessel in the carriage of contraband, no blockade running query or on a voyage, which is in the reasonable opinion of the managers unduly hazardous or improper. That's the only way potentially you could terminate. I think that would be difficult at the moment. But again, watch how things develop. If the circumstances became worse, I mean, we've already seen 
not a large number, but I think it's five or six commercial vessels that have either been directly targeted or have been caught in crossfire, hit by missiles or, or bombs or mines, then you might get a position where if the owner is, if you had an owner saying to a manager, we want you to assist us, for example, breaching sanctions or breaking a blockade because we've got a really lucrative contract, the manager in those circumstances would be able to terminate on that provision, on that basis. Yeah, I mean, the, the background to this is when, um, with COVID, when the crew managers providing the crew on a lump sum basis, you know, prior to COVID, it, the cost was A, and then after COVID, the cost quickly escalated to, to B, and it was, was vastly over the budget. So he had lots of crew managers wanting to terminate, but unfortunately, they had to carry on. And as you know, under English law, just because it becomes a bad bargain, you know, it doesn't mean uh, you can you can you can get out of it. So it, it, it is un- unfortunate. So that that's good. I mean, um, so we, we've seen that, uh, yes, yeah, so the force majeure clause, like COVID, follows on to, to war, the effects well, it can be used as defence, but you need to minim- um, use reasonable efforts to minimise the effects. And it cannot be, uh, you can't terminate on, on a force majeure or event. And you need to turn to the termination clause to, to do so as usual. Now, another, another point, um, and it, this is sort of slightly different, is we were recently asked by a, a ship manager as a DOC holder managing a vessel. And the owner, the principal, was a Russian sanctioned entity now as the doc holder they have a responsibility normally to manage the the vessel and hand over to a new manager if they do not want to you know continue managing so the question from 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 the manager well we can't just walk away normally under uh, the ism code and uh, and our under our management agreement but on the other hand we're be in breach of sanctions if we were to continue and take money and pay the crew from from this owner. So we, we feel like we're in a bit of a bind. And we, we went back with, with advice. And um, uh, I'll ask you what you would sort of comment on on that sort of position before I sort of say what we we suggested. <laughs> it, well, uh, the first one is I agree with you. Be caught between a rock and a hard place, and so you're stacking up your obligations as under the ISM code under any other international regulation as against the obligation as a matter of sanctions. What you can't do is you you certainly can't breach international sanctions provision. So that, I think, if you were were in a position where you're sure that the sanctions restriction means you can't perform, you can't perform, and that trumps the other obligation under SOLAS or anything else. Very important to ensure that you are on the hook in relation to what that sanction provision says. And and often the sanctions will be worded in such a way that they they will allow ancillary support services to continue so that as a manager, you may still be able to continue to do your job, notwithstanding the fact that your principal is a listed entity. Mm. But you know, you've got to, you've got to actually and this is where you need expert advice, either either from you, the club, or by coming to an external lawyer and saying, Am I caught? Yes. Well, that's exactly the advice we went back with. So I'm glad of that. But, uh, <laughs> so uh, we, we we sort of said, well, we, we think the sort of the, the sanctions element trumps the sort of uh, your liability under the ISM code. And if you were, you know, you'd face an arbitration potentially from that owner, and it would be a reasonable defence to say, well, if we we carried on managing the, the 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 yacht or the vessel, we would come under sanction ourselves. And not only would that restrict us from managing your vessel but all vessels within the fleet so then again yes we we always then ask them to seek 
further advice from Holmans or Ince or Reedsmith or any of the other insur- legal houses because it is such a complex web. And I think we were talking before this podcast of your current day-to-day job at the moment is, is you're being swamped with, with sanction advice questions. I am a combination of sanctions. And I think that what I've described, I just actually was doing an interview with one of the trade press. I said it's a bit of a perfect storm at the moment because not only have you got sanctions, but you've got sanctions, war risks, frustration, force majeure, problems in the banking chain, you know, with, with payments being, Russian transfers being blocked from the SWIFT system. So there are all sorts of things flying about. And one of the things that I've done is we've set up effectively a, a, an emergency hotline. In-house, I'm calling my Ghostbusters line, you know, who are you going to call? So if you've got a problem in any of those areas, we can deploy either a sanctions expert or a financial crime expert, mm-hmm. or indeed a correct expert. If I may, there's a couple of supplementaries to what we've just said there. In relation to that, the, the scenario we're looking at, that sanctions scenario, it is, it is of course, possible to apply either to OFAC or OFSI to obtain licences in situations where you are affected primarily by the sanctions restriction, but you need to do your job. And we've done that successfully in situations where a vessel's been sanctioned and say, but you need to get fresh water or supplies to the crew. And the Third-party agency says, well, we can't do that because that's facilitating assisting somebody that's on the sanctions list. But you can go to either OFSI in the UK or OFAC in the UK and say, can we have a license, please, to get supplies to the vessel? And, you know, you need to know the right channels, the right people to speak to, but you can get those permissions. So that's an option. The other one that I was just going to flag, which I think is a something that's needs was probably already on the radar for anybody that's looking after crewing issues but mental health is something we we often talk about now with crew on top of all the other pressures that crew are facing if you're either russian or ukrainian fears for your family your country what's happening that's going to be putting another pressure on crew and of course if you've got situations where you've got vessels that have russian and ukrainian crew on board then Mm. probably need to take some care to ensure that the master is managing those potential situations. We were talking before we started the podcast, Rob, about one of the things that's been happening with the super yachts. And there was this news report of a Ukrainian crew member Mm. on a yacht that's Russian connected, taking steps to, you know, destabilize and affect the property. So I think that's yet another tension for uh, managers and owners and operators at the moment with regard to the well-being of their crews. Mm, absolutely. And I think Intermanager is all over this at the moment, uh, discussing how, 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 how these uh, Ukrainian crew members can be best dealt with, with care and compassion. And it also leads on to, we're, we're doing another podcast next week with uh, Geraldine Kuhn, who's an ex-Instant uh, Co. employee yeah. now, now at ITIC, as a senior claims executive at ITIC. And she is doing a, another podcast, and I, and I believe it's focusing on um, sort of know your client uh, principles, and it, which is in this current world, essential. Um, you as a law firm will be doing it, we as insurers. But it's, it's amazing when, when sometimes when you're talking to some shipbrokers and sh- some, even some ship agents, uh, how little it's done in the general market. And uh, if, if it's not done, if you, if, you, if, you, if, you show, if you have no sort of due diligence to show you've done some checks and uh, not only is there, is there a liability upon yourself, but the company and, 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 and using US dollars, etc. So, you know, there's some well-known companies in the, in the ship brokers or other companies in the, in the press who were restricted from using US dollars and it's basically shut down the whole company. So it's um, you have to check the principal, potentially the bank, 
the vessel. It's uh, it's a whole whole quagmire. But again, law firms are good at advising on that as well. Yeah, and it is, and that's a lot of this has come out of this risk of the development in the US of secondary sanctions. So you know, the primary effect of any US sanction at OFAC is if you're a US individual. But this secondary level of application applies to anybody, whether you're US connected or not, that is seen to be facilitating, assisting, procuring. Uh, it's a very, very wide definition. And that's why we've seen in previous situations where companies or individual individuals have been sanctioned everybody i've even seen law firms say well sorry we can't give advice because that could be seen as facilitating or procuring assistance so yeah and the only way you can safeguard about that and as being someone that's handled investigations by ofac and ofsi being able to provide the due diligence and the kyc is absolutely crucial because mm. they, they want to see that you you have done everything you can and if, if you've just thought, oh, I don't really need to dig that deep, that's what then starts to create problems. Mm. Okay, well, that's great. Well, thank you very much. And I'm sure this is going to roll on and develop further. And um, hopefully we might be able to get you back uh, on giving some more um, advice and uh, knowledge on some other topics shortly. Love to, Robert. Thank you very much. Great. Thanks very much. Cheers. Thank you for listening to ITIC Insight. We hope you found this edition interesting and informative. To ensure you never miss an episode, follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter, and wherever you get your podcasts.